The first reading is going to be from Acts chapter 2. This comes right after Peter's Pentecost sermon, right after the Pentecost story. And then, uh, it describes, it's just kind of a brief snapshot of what the early Jesus community looked like right at the very beginning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This reading is from 2 Timothy 3, 14 through the first part of chapter 4. And this will actually be uh, the text of the sermon. But as for you, Paul says to Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. This is Jesus talking, and he says this to his disciples. Now I am going to him who sent me, and yet none of you ask me where are you going. Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief, but I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsel will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Second Timothy, that's what the text is, Second Timothy 3. And uh, you have it there in your bulletin. You can look at it from the bulletin if you want. Um, Paul is talking to Timothy, and in the section right before where Paul is talking in 2 Timothy 3, he's talking about false teachers. I can read that verse for you. Paul says to them, uh, Paul says to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while, he says, evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so he's talking about evil men and imposters. And then verse 14 is our text. But for you, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. So don't go the path of the evil men and the apostles. Like, stay true to Christianity. Stay true to your Christian faith. Keep on believing what reality is. And he gives, he gives Timothy two reasons for doing this in uh, verses 14 and following. So look at this with me. Uh, so continue what you've learned and have become convinced of because, two reasons here, you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scripture. So these are the two reasons. The first reason is, and we're not going to talk about this too much this morning, but I did want to mention it because it's right here in the text. When Paul's trying to tell Timothy, this is why you should remain a Christian, the, the, the first of the two reasons he gives him is because community. 
He doesn't start off with like, because Christianity is extremely logical. He doesn't start off, he doesn't actually start off with the Bible, even though he spends most of the time on the Bible. And so will we coming up here. But the first thing he mentioned is community. You should be true to your Christian faith because you know the people that you learned it from and with. This is me. This is your fan. This is for, for Timothy specifically. This is your grandmother and your mother. This is the community that you belong to. This is who you are. So it's, Christian, Christianity is never less than communal. I mean, we're going to end up talking about God's word here in just a second and what that means for our Christian faith. But the baseline is this relationship that we have with each other. It's never less than that. And when I talk to people who are struggling with their Christianity, I'm just going to tell you nine times out of ten, a lot of it has to do with community. I can give you two examples from this week. I have a really good friend uh, who um, has fallen away from the faith. He lives uh, out west now, and he sent me, uh, this week he sent me uh, a book that he wrote about his life. It's basically the story of his life. It's a, it's a rough draft for this, and it's quite long, but the, the whole thing is a story about his fall away from Christianity. And I knew, I knew him when he, we were friends in church. He's quite younger than me, but he, we were friends in church. And I knew him then, and I knew that he'd been struggling and had fallen away from faith. But I'd never really uh, talked to him a lot about it until the past couple of years. And so he sent me a copy of this book and just said, we've discussed this stuff, I want you to see it too. And um, basically, the story is that he hates his Christian father. This is what it comes down to. Like his arguments against Christianity all revolve around the fact that his child is deeply troubled with this relationship with this father who's distant, but is a very, 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 very um, outspoken and devout Christian. So how, how do you argue against that? It's hard to. It's hard. To, I can like read C.S. Lewis quotes to him all day long, but he is convinced that Christianity is oppressive and empty because... His main contact with Christianity is an oppressive and empty relationship. I'll give you one more example. I was talking to a lady this week, not a member here. I'm friends with her son, who's in his 20s now as well. Her son has also fallen away from the faith. His main reason for falling away from the faith is a bad experience he had with a pastor in a church about 10 years ago. And she says, well, how can I talk to him about this? And it's just a, it's a tough, it's a tough conversation. It's a, it's hard to work, it's hard to work through that. Now that's two negative examples, right? We could do positive examples. How many of you are believers today less because you heard like some sort of like brilliant convincing argument, less because you were watching TV late one night and Billy Graham was preaching this great message, and more because you have an intimate connection with somebody who looks like Jesus. Right. Now this is what Paul, this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. First off, this is communal. Okay, let's stop there because we're going to get there in a month or so. We're going to come back to community and fellowship. We have ways that we're working on that we can foster this sort of thing. And we're going to announce that to you guys uh, here in a month or so. But right now, let's go on to point number two, which is the main point of the sermon here. So first of all, community. But second of all, look at verse 15. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So you know other people, you know other Christians, and number two, you know um, you know Scripture. So there's th- three things that Paul's going to say about Scripture in the next few verses and one is he's going to explain to us what Scripture is. He's going to tell us then what Scripture is good for. And then he has a reason for talking to Timothy about like about Scripture. He's This isn't just like a theological conversation about what is the Bible and what is it made up of and what is it doing to us. There's something specific he wants to do, which if you were reading in the, um, the, the epistle reading earlier this morning, it's pretty obvious where he's got 
where he's got Timothy headed here. But first of all, what is scripture? First of all, it's able to make us wise through, it's, it's, it's the thing that's able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Holy scripture is the one thing that can fix us. It's the one thing that wherever you're at, wherever, whatever loneliness you're struggling with, whatever brokenness you're struggling with, whatever idolatry you're struggling with, whatever fractured relationship you're struggling with, it's the one thing that can repair that. That's what salvation means. It's the one thing that can rescue from, rescue you from that. And it does it through faith in Christ Jesus, which is a fancy way of saying that it's the whole, it's that it's, it's God's word that creates faith in us. When it says that the holy, that, um, um, Scripture is able to make us wise through faith in Christ Jesus. It's saying the same thing that Romans 10, 17 is saying. That faith comes by hearing. You have faith in Jesus Christ by hearing God's word and hearing, hearing by the word of God. Hearing through the word of Christ, actually. That's what creates faith in us. So, it's our only hope. Scripture is our only hope for salvation. How does it do this? This is the second part. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed means this. Scripture comes out of God's mouth. Scripture is spoken by God. Right, so God is there. God is not silent. God wants to know you. God wants to communicate himself to you. And he's chosen to do it. He's chosen to speak himself into your existence. And he does that. He does that through Scripture. How does this work? How does God speak to you through Scripture? The word God breathed there is a good clue because the word for breathe is really, really related in Greek to the word for spirit. It's actually the same word. The word for breath and the word for spirit are the same in Greek. It's the Holy Spirit who does this. So here's how it works. You are reading your Bible, specifically this morning. Okay, I'm talking to you. I'm reading God's word to you. I'm speaking out loud God's word to you. The Holy Spirit is using those words to make a connection with you somehow, with a lot of you, with some of you. If the Holy Spirit's not making this connection, then you're not hearing it. And my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit will make this connection. I don't really have any control over it. But that by speaking God's word, the Holy Spirit will open up your eyes. We'll make that, we'll make that connection. We'll like the, 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 the communication line between you and God is the Holy Spirit. And when God speaks, when God breathes, it's the Holy Spirit who makes that connection. Paul says in Ephesians 5 in the armor of, the, the armor of God section that you should take, a, take on yourself the sword of the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of Christ. So the Word of God and the Spirit work in tandem, work together to bring, uh, work, to, work together to bring God's speech and His voice to you. Now, so what is it doing? It's doing a couple of big things to you. I know we're hurrying through this really, really quick. It's doing some internal stuff to you and it's doing some external stuff to you. It's teaching and rebuking. Verse 16 says, and it's correcting and training. Teaching and rebuking are words that have to do with the internal, with our internal life. It's teaching us, uh, teaching us what we should know. All of us have errors in our thoughts and belief systems. Every single one of us do. Uh, you don't know, we had this conversation in adult Bible study recently. You think that you're 100% right about everything. If you knew, but you're not. It's just not possible. If you knew what the things were that you're wrong about, most of you would switch them. Most of you are noble-minded enough to stop believing things that you know aren't true. But the problem is, is you just don't know what those are. You are convinced that everything that you believe is right. You know it's not true. You know that maybe, I, I don't know, maybe the best of us, there's 10% of the things in our head that aren't true. But you don't know those, what those are. It is God's word which exposes those things to your mind. It's God's word 
which tells you what's right and tells you what's wrong and starts to shape your mind and your thinking so that it moves away from the things that are wrong to the things that are right. That's what, uh, that's what teaching and rebuking means. However, correcting and training in righteousness means it's outside stuff. It's behavior. These are words that have to do with behavior. All of us say things that are wrong. All of us do things that are wrong. It is only God's word. It's not your self-will. You can't, and I know this is all basic stuff. It's, 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 you can't by your own self-will start to shape your own behavior. You can't decide I'm going to be a kinder person. You can't decide I'm going to be a less selfish person. These are things, Paul is saying that it's the word of God that can correct this behavior. It's only the word of God that can, so I, I do this all the time. I have like deep amounts of guilt about the way I treat my children. I'll I'll say things and I'll do things and then I'll think as I'm laying in bed, they're sleeping right now and they are one day closer to realizing that I'm a loser and a horrible father. Now some of that is just like insecurity, but some of that, some of that honestly is just that I'm a loser and a horrible father. And you you know, you remember what it was like as as you went through your teen years and you slowly, you slowly came to realize that your parents are losers and horrible parents. And every one of you did. And now you get to the point where you have kids yourself. And so you start to give yourself a, you know, you start to give your parents a break. But it's not because you actually think better of your parents. It's because you know that since I'm just as a, a big of a loser as they are, that we're, my, me and my parents are kind of in this loser thing together. But meanwhile, I'm busy screwing up my children. And, and I always feel guilty about that at night. And then in the morning I wake up and I know what the answer is. I know what the answer is, is I need to bathe myself in God's word. It is how he shapes and transforms me as a parent. And then I don't. I just decide, well, you know, I'm, I'm busy or whatever. I got stuff I have to do. And then I just decide, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be nicer tonight. I'm not going to be as short tonight. I'm not going to be as curt. I'm going to be more selfless. I'm not, when they ask me, can you do this? I'm not going to be like, no, I can't do that because I want to watch the Cardinals. I'm actually going to turn the TV off and I'm going to go do it with them. But I never do. Because I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power to love my kids more than I love myself. I don't have the power to to stop lying when I need to impress people with my mouth. I don't have the power to stand up here in front of you and not try to impress you with sermons. I just can't stop doing that. The only thing that can stop me from doing that is God's word. And if I'm not being rebuked and corrected and trained and instructed in righteousness, I'm just going to continue being my same broken self. This is is our only hope. This is what Paul is telling Timothy is that this is the only thing that's going to equip you for every good work. That's the last verse in the chapter, right? Verse 17. It's God's, God breathed scripture, which is able to do all these things so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right. Okay. That's God's word. That's our only hope. But now Paul, of course, has something that he wants Timothy to do with this. This is not just for Timothy's personal devotional life, although this is certainly the case. But go back to the first thing that we learned today. This is not primarily individual. This is primarily communal. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is primarily a matter of what you know, who you know, and who you are known by. Primarily. It's all over the place in the New Testament. And, and I don't know, we could like, uh, we could work our way through Ephesians 3 and 4, we could do Galatians 2 and 3, we could do Romans 8, 9, and 10, we could do Ephesians, did I already mention Ephesians? We could uh, do all these texts in Paul, where Paul is less of a theology teacher and more of a relationship broker. More of like you guys, the text from Ephesians 2 that we read last week. God is in the business of reconciling. 
God is in the business of making the two who are apart and bringing them together. And so for Paul, the word is never like, okay, so Timothy, go home and like have your personal devos. Timothy should be doing that. You guys should be doing that. I should be doing that. But the main place that he's headed with this is the first two verses of chapter four. You need to preach this. Timothy, this has to be spoken out loud in the community. And Paul is super serious about this because, I mean, Paul a lot of times tells us what to do, but he very rarely prefaces it with this in verse one. Now listen, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, look, Timothy, look, it's me and it's you and it's God the Father, and it's Jesus Christ. And I just mentioned the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, a few verses ago. So it's just all of us in the room, and we're all standing around looking at each other. And I want you to hear what I'm saying while they're all looking at you, Timothy. Because in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Timothy, you have to preach the Bible. Now, I want you to see the connection here. Why? Let's start at the beginning. The Bible is God's, it is out of God's mouth. It is, it is the words out of God's mouth. And so he tells Timothy, Timothy, preach you out of your mouth, Timothy, the words out of God's mouth. Timothy, that's good. Out of your mouth, the words out of God's mouth. Preach the word. Now for Paul, this is not simply a matter of passing along a message. This is actually for Paul, when you speak God's word, it is God speaking through you. So sometimes I'll tell my kids, I'll tell one of my kids, I'll tell kid A, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you go upstairs and tell kid B, I said to knock it off? No. Kid A will go up there and will tell, t- tell kid B, dad said knock it off. It is a crapshoot whether they're actually going to do it, whether kid B is actually going to do it. Why? Because kid A doesn't have any cachet. And so, again, you know, five out of ten times, I'm going to have to go upstairs and say, Hey, look, when I send kid A up here to tell you what to do, that's, I'm telling you what to do, you need to do it. It happens a lot, and you guys know about that in your own house. But it's not like that. It's not like God has said this thing here, and so now it's my job to take this and say, hey, do you know what God is saying? That's certainly true, but it's much more than that. It's by preaching the word, you're preaching the word. By saying God's God-breathed word out loud, you are saying the word of God. Does this make sense? Now, I know it's broken. I know that my sermons have way more than 10% of error in them. Just like when you evangelize your friends, the things that you do and the things that you say are going to have a bunch of error in them. But for some reason, God has chosen to bind himself to what we say to each other. And when somebody preaches from the pulpit from God's word, has chosen to bind himself to that word in such a way that it is actually his own voice speaking. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, there's this little great text about the gifts of the Spirit. And Peter says, let the one who speaks, this is 1 Peter 4.11, let the one who speaks, speak as the oracle of God. Do you know, like, in Peter's word, what the oracle, what an oracle was? Have you heard of the oracle at Delphi? You go to the oracle at Delphi if you want to, like, if you wanted to talk to Apollo, you can go to the oracle at Delphi. And you can go in there and you give her a gift. And she would actually, like, go into a trance and start speaking and it would be a message from Apollo. And it would probably be something really cryptic and, and confusing that you would have to figure out later on. But that's how Apollo could actually talk to you. When Peter says, let the one who speaks speak as an oracle of God, what he's doing is he's saying this. He's saying, out of your mouth, God's word. That's why it's so important to preach the Bible. Not my own thoughts. Not even like, so it's not just a matter of like, it's either my sinful, wicked thoughts or God's word. Not even my good theology. 
Not even like the great things that I know from seminary that are really true and helpful. That's not what God is going to use to train us and correct us and rebuke us and, and, and bring us up in righteousness. It's actually his words. Look, there's this scene. There's this scene at the, um, uh, in, in The Lion King, the animated film. So there's a Mufasa who's the king. He's the big lion, right? And he's the king. And he's got this little uh, lion cub uh, whose name is, what is it, Simba? Thank you, Jamie. Uh, Simba, who's his son. And um, Simba's going to be the king someday, right? And so Mufasa tells Simba, do, do not go to the elephant graveyard. It's too dangerous. And Mufasa, uh, like you do when you're a kid, goes there anyway. And he gets chased around by three hyenas who work for the bad guys. And the three hyenas are about to kill him. And all that Simba, the little lion cub, knows how to do is like open his mouth and try and roar. But what comes out of his little tiny lion mouth is more like a meow. And the three hyenas start laughing and laughing because it's ridiculous, right? And one of them says, that's all you got? Go ahead, do it again. And they're laughing. And Simba opens his mouth to do that little meow again. He's scared to death. What he doesn't know is that Mufasa is right behind him. And when he opens his mouth, Mufasa roars. And the hyenas freak out and run away. That's exactly what a Christian sermon is supposed to be. Look, all that, all that a pastor is, all that a teacher is when you teach a class or you teach your kids the Bible or you're talking about God with your friends, all you are is this little tiny lion cub. You have no ability to make anybody do anything. You open your mouth and out of it comes brokenness and weakness. But what you don't realize when you're speaking God's word is that it is the creator of the universe. However mysteriously, however much we don't understand, it's the creator of the universe that is speaking and roaring through you. And stuff changes. Stuff happens. People begin to have their thought process changed. My own thought process changes I preach and I teach. As you teach your kids and as you talk to your friends who aren't believers and your friends who are, who are believers. Because this is what God's word does. Why does it, why does God bind himself to this mess here? Why does God bind himself foolishly to bread and wine? Why does God bind himself to our little puny Simba voices? We don't know, but he does. And so we preach the word. Amen. That's the end of that sermon.